Okay, would you turn with me to your study outline? Or if you'd like to use your mobile device, you'll see there on your outline how you can access that. Or behind me on the screen, you can see how to do that as you're turning. Let me welcome those of you uh, that are joining us online. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. Now, we've been doing a series in the Gospel of John, a chapter-by-chapter study of the book of John called Upside Down, How Jesus Reframes Everything. And now Jesus is going to be crucified in seven days. From John 12 on, we're in the last week, right on through the resurrection of Jesus. And so in seven days, Jesus is going to be crucified. And in John chapter 12, it's full of people that are responding to Jesus. Adrian Pichai has found my table. Woo, let's hear it for Adrian. Oh my goodness. You are awesome, man. Yeah, I was going to give it a try without my table. This is my security blanket right here. This is like an old man's cane is what this is, okay? And so this is, this is my table. So Adrian, you, you know, Adrian, he has like got that administrative leader gift going on. And you saw a need, didn't you, Adrian? And you saw your pathetic elder leader up here without his crutch. And he went and got that. And uh, I had to laugh because Adrian, um, in the earlier Patriotic Musical, you were like the voice of Benjamin Franklin or somebody? Who were you anyway? I just, what's that? Oh, John Marshall, who was a Virginian. All those guys are Virginians, you know what I mean? Basically, the nation was founded by Virginia, so you were John Marshall, so I got a kick out of that. That's totally irrelevant. Let's get back to our study right here. Thank you, Adrian. Okay, so John chapter 12 is full of people responding to, to Jesus. And, and the time has come. He's going to be crucified in seven days. So they've been watching him for three years. He's had a three-year earthly ministry. and People have been watching him. They've been checking him out. They've been checking out the evidence. They've been watching Jesus for three years. But now it's crunch time. He's going to be crucified in seven days. Now it's time to make a decision. You can't sit on the fence any longer. People have got to decide, what are they going to do about Jesus? Same thing is true today. Any moment we could die. Any moment, Jesus could come back. It's always crunch time. With, with them, they had seven days to go. But we don't know how many days we have to go until Jesus returns or until uh, we, you know, die. We, we don't know what the timetable is. It's always crunch time because the end could come at any moment. And so we've got to make that decision. The most important decision people will ever make in human history, in all the universe, in all of human history, most important decision you'll make is, what will you do about Jesus? You know what? I was thinking about this this week. I would rather mess up every decision, choice, make bad choices my whole life and get this one right than to get this one wrong and make nothing but good decisions and choices my whole life. This is the only one. Now, don't get me wrong. It's good to make some other good choices as well. And life will go better for you and you'll be more effective for the cause of Christ is accumulation of your good choices over the course of your lifetime. But I tell you, if you got to get just one choice right in your life, this is the one to get. And we're going to see a bunch of people and the responses that they had here in John chapter 12. How did people respond uh, to Jesus? It's six days before Passover and Jesus goes to Bethany. And he goes to Bethany because he realizes this is it. This is the end. He's, he's, it's the beginning of the, the end of the beginning, uh, but, and then it's going to be the future. But he realizes his crucifixion, it's coming. And what do you want to do right before you face something really hard in your life? You want to hang out with your friends. And so Jesus has this dinner with his 16 best friends. 
That's what you want. If you're facing something really hard, you want to get together and have dinner with your 16 best friends. The 12 disciples, and I'm including Judas at this point, but really it was 15 best friends because Judas was no friend. But his 12 disciples and then this family of brothers and sisters, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, who he had just raised from the dead recently, and then Simon, the book of Mark, Mark from his account. Remember, there's four eyewitness accounts and biographies of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're studying the one chapter by chapter of John. But in another eyewitness account, uh, Mark gives us an additional detail that this was in the home of Simon the leper, a guy who Jesus had healed of leprosy. So he's with his 16 best friends, 12 disciples, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, as family members, and then they're in the home of Simon. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and this is kind of funny because, you know, there's a famous story where Martha's all about, I mean, her way of showing love to Jesus is serving, you know, and and, and that's her gift of service, and so that's what she's doing. Here she is at it again, but Mary just wanted to be with Jesus. Martha was just one of those busy people that always had to serve Jesus, and Mary was the one who could just hang out with Jesus, and here we see the exact same thing going on in this one as it did in the more famous story where Jesus kind of says to Martha, lighten up, stop doing all the busyness of the preparations, just hang here and be with me. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, this is a different story than when the prostitute uh, wiped Jesus' feet with her hair and anointed him with oil. So, so if you think about this or with perfume. So that's a different story. There are two different times where this happens. And I, I think this is so cool. I was thinking about it this past week. That's the way of Jesus. He, he's for everybody. I mean, you think about it. In the one story, it's a prostitute. And in that culture and society, that would be the lower 1% of the socioeconomic system at that time. But now we have every indication that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were wealthy. They were part of the one percenters, especially because she could afford uh, what we're going to see, how expensive this was. So isn't it cool that we have two stories of women anointing the feet of Jesus, one from a prostitute, one from a wealthy, respected, high socioeconomic. Isn't it awesome that Jesus is for the bottom one percent, he's for the upper one percent, and he's for the 98 percent of us in between. Isn't that awesome? That's who he came for. That's who responded to him. That's who loved him. That's who he uh, connected with. So this is a different story than the prostitute uh, who did this. Now, usually what they would do is give one tiny little dab, like you do when you spray on a little bit of cologne. You just put a dab of this on because it was so expensive. It says it wasn't just nard. It was pure nard. It wasn't a mixture of anything else. It was pure. It would have had a sweet scent, and it would have been a red in color. And it was produced in the mountains of India. So you can imagine that's why it was so expensive. They had to get this thing from India all the way to Palestine, all the way to Israel. And so as a result, it was worth a year's wages. Now think about what you earn in a year. What do you earn in a year? That's what this thing was worth. Okay, another estimate is like about $20,000 because uh, that probably was the average, you know, by today's standard income back then. So, so think of what you earn, though. I think a better way to do it is just what do you earn in a year? 
That's how much this perfume. And she busts it and, and quote, wastes it, just blows it all just in this one act of worship of Jesus. Mary loved Jesus more than anything. Now, let's look at some of the other responses. Judas Iscariot loved money more than Jesus. Verse 4. One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Now, that sounds spiritual, doesn't it? You know, it, it sounds like, no, it's just a cover. It, it, it was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor. He didn't say this. You know, I'll hear somebody sometimes say, oh, well, why did the church spend money on this? Why did the church on that? They should have spent it on the poor. And, and there's certainly truth to that. And there's certainly balance where we, we spend things on ministries and proclaiming Christ and a worship center like this. But you, but you know what? And you got to balance that with the concern for the poor. But many times I found that that is just a smokescreen. And when you check on it, that person's not giving anything to the poor themselves. Judas wasn't giving anything to the poor. He was just criticizing what Jesus was doing this. He didn't say anything because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And, and you know, this is something, and, and here again, I'm going to, this 4th of July or 3rd of July, 4th of July weekend, uh, you know, I'm just going to consider us just like out to lunch, just chatting now. So, so don't take this thing to the bank, okay? Uh, this is just more just thoughts that I'm having that I'm sharing with some friends. But you know, we, we got to be careful. Uh, Jesus was all about the poor. And, and you know, you know that research shows that the more you care about worshiping Jesus, the more you care about the poor, you know, research has actually shown that. It actually has shown that more regularly a person attends church, the more generous they are to the poor. I mean, this has been validated by research. And it's, it's weird. It's like down to Sunday by Sunday. Uh, the person that attends church um, uh, every Sunday gives more than somebody who gives, you know, attends three out of four Sundays. And the person that attends two Sundays out of the year gives more than those that attend one Sunday out of the year. And, and people that attend church once in a while are more generous to charity than those that never go to church. And they've actually correlated this. So the people that follow Jesus are certainly concerned for the poor because Jesus, nobody was more concerned for the poor uh, like them. But you know, you got to remember, there's also a time to put finances into worshiping God as well. You know, fascinating thing. You look at this worship center right here, and, and I'm sure there's some that might look at that and say, man, you know, what if we had just sold this and didn't do it and, and gave to the poor? Do you know that during the years that this worship center was built, our church back then was part of the American Baptist denomination? Okay. American Baptist denomination, we're no longer a part of that. We're an independent church now. But back then, we were uh, part of the American Baptist denomination. Do you know that during the years that we built this, those years, we were number one in the nation for giving to missions? Number one in the whole country among all American Baptist church in giving to missions in the same years that this building was built. And so, so there's a place for ministering to the poor, a high place, a very high place, but there's also a time to give so that we can worship God as well. There's a time for Christian ministry. There's a time for evangelism. There's a time for ministry to take place. Now, think of the chutzpah of Judas Iscariot. He's criticizing Jesus. Okay, how many of you would feel comfortable criticizing Jesus? That takes a lot of chutzpah. And so Jesus says, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. She had been saving it because she knew that things were getting hot and that eventually Jesus is going to be killed. She said, it just can't go on like this, so I'm saving this for the day of his burial. 
You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus is for ministry to the poor, but he's also for uh, resources with regard to worshiping him as well. Now, here's something I love about Mary here. She didn't wait until the funeral. She had this. She was saving it for the funeral. But she was just so overcome with love for Jesus. She said, forget that. I'm going to do it right now. I can't wait. And you know what? Whenever I uh, conduct a funeral, people say the nicest things about the person at the funeral. And here's what I would recommend. Say it to them now before they die. Now, say nice stuff at their funeral, okay? I want Pastor Brian to get up and give a beautiful eulogy at my funeral. Brian, I am hoping you wax eloquent. I'm hoping you are so on that day and, you know, but, but say it to me now, man, okay? You know, don't, let's not save it for the funeral. And I, I've been thinking about that, that tell a person, if you love them, tell them now. If you respect them for certain things, tell them now. If you, if you are just say, boy, I really admire that particular, be specific. These are the, I mean, think about what you would say about them at their funeral and say it to them now. And that's what Mary does here. She just can't wait for his burial. So she, she busts it out on his feet and shows him how she feels about him uh, now. Now, lest we be too hard on Judas, okay? And we're always hard on Judas on this, and we should be. Judas is scary at bad, okay? Uh, you know, we should be hard on him. But hey, let's look in the mirror right now. Martin Luther, the great theologian from about 500 years ago, said, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. And by purse, he means like your bank account or, or, your, check, or your checking book, your checking account, okay? Your savings account or whatever, your money. There are three conversions that need to take place. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. Of these three, it may well be that we find the conversion of the purse to be the most difficult. This is the hardest thing of all, to have Jesus get a hold of your finances. I have known, uh, as a pastor, I've known Christians that just got it all going on in certain areas of their life. They're part of a small group. Uh, They have a quiet time where they read the Bible. They may even share their faith. They serve in a ministry. I mean, they they just, every indication of all-out followers of Jesus. But you know, it's amazing how sometimes they just still have not turned over trusting God in their finances and the whole area of generosity. And one of our core values here at Purpose Church is generous people transform the world, transform the world. And, and so that area, and, and they will die and go to heaven with that area, Jesus never having converted their finances. And, and so this is a hard one. And six days later, Judas Iscariot sells out Jesus for 6,000 bucks. He sells out Jesus for 6,000 bucks. Maybe he thought he was going to steal 6,000 out of that 20,000 if they put it into the treasury for the poor. And he sells Jesus out for 6,000 bucks just six days later. The priests love power more than Jesus. Verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Now that's stupid. What is that going to do? You kill the guy Jesus raised. Maybe they thought Jesus just had one resurrection in him. Boy, they were going to be disappointed on that one, weren't they? Okay. Okay, he's got one resurrection in him, and he wasted it on Lazarus. I think it's done. So what are they going to do? Kill Lazarus? Jesus raises him. Kill Lazarus? Jesus is going to raise him. So they said, let's kill him. For on account of him, this amazing story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, 
many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Now, these chief priests, they served in the temple, and they inherited their position. They were born into the tribe of Levi. So they were kind of the Paris Hiltons of their, of their time, okay? They didn't earn what their position was. They didn't earn their inheritance. They inherited. They just were born into the right family, and as a result of that, they got to be the guys in power. And they had tremendous power allocated them under Rome. So the status quo was working for them, okay? The, 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 Roman power was good for them because Rome would give them some power to keep them, use them to keep the people peaceful so that Rome could rule over them. So they didn't want to mess with the status quo. And they loved their power. They would rather kill Jesus than lose their influence and power under Rome. The status quo was good for them. Next page of your study outline. Look at that interesting verse from John 11, verse 48. If we let him go on like this, talking about Jesus, everyone will believe in him. Now, what's their fear? I mean, wouldn't you say, awesome? These are the religious leaders of Israel. And they say, if he goes on like this, everybody's going to believe in him. And you should say, fantastic, he's the Messiah. They should believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Now, what's the, bad, what's the word there that does, shouldn't be there? What's that word? A little three-letter word. Starts with O, ends with R, has you in the middle. Our. Exactly, yes. Okay. Our. What are you talking about? Our temple. Our nation. No. Who, who, whose temple was it? It was God's. Um, who, whose nation was it? God. And when you're in church, God is like the answer, like 90% of the time, God and Jesus, you know. So it's God's temple. It's God's nation. And they said, man, if Jesus, this is, he's rocking the boat, the status quo, and it's going to mess up the sweet deal we've got with Rome. And he's going to, they're going to take away our temple and our nation. They would rather kill Jesus than not be in power. Uh, The crowd loved Jesus temporarily. Okay. Uh, this is Palm Sunday. So here we are celebrating Palm Sunday on 4th of July weekend. How weird is that? Okay, uh, 4th of July weekend. Here we are at Palm Sunday in John chapter 12. Now let me tell you a cool thing about this because it was Passover. Is Do you know there's a really good chance, this is not just far out conjecture, really good chance that as Jesus came into Jerusalem, there would be flocks of tens of thousands of sheep, Passover lambs going into Jerusalem as well. That's something we don't usually do in our Palm Sunday renditions, you know. But think of Jesus on the donkey riding into Jerusalem, and he's surrounded by thousands of sheep that are going to be sacrificed for the sins of the nation of Israel. And here comes Jesus. Remember what John the Baptist said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there he is on his donkey riding among these flocks of Passover lambs. He himself is going to be sacrificed so that they don't need to sacrifice Passover lambs anymore. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, that's Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They're quoting Psalm 118 that you see there in your study outline. And they're celebrating Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. But here's the problem. They were thinking politics, not forgiveness and salvation. They were thinking short-term politics, not long-term eternity in heaven. 
Now, there's a reason for this. 200 years earlier, the Jews were brutally oppressed by a Syrian king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And we have like an old rendition of him. will pop up there. You see him on the coins there, that they had him on the coins of that time. Many people think he was a foreshadowing of the Antichrist that's going to come in the last days before Jesus comes back. This guy was bad, and he was bad to the Jews. He slaughtered pigs in the temple. Now, you know how the Jewish people felt about pigs, right? And so instead of sacrificing lambs in the temple like they were supposed to do, he slaughtered pigs in the temple, and he forced the priest to drink the pig's blood. So a guy comes along, Judas Maccabee comes along, and he fights a war and delivers the Jews from Antiochus Epiphany. And according to historians, after he defeated him and threw off the yoke of his oppression of Israel, they spread palm branches in front of Judas Maccabee and shouted, Hosanna, palm branches were a symbol of Jewish nationalism. And Hosanna means save us now. Now, many of these people hoped that Jesus would be a political savior. Now, they were going to be disappointed But that's what they're thinking right now. And so the crowd loved Jesus temporarily until they figured out he was not about short-term politics. He was about long-term salvation and eternity in heaven. N.T. Wright writes, but Jesus wasn't that sort of Messiah. He was aiming to overthrow the kingdom of the world all right and replace it with the kingdom of God. But his victory was to be of a totally different sort. It was all about his being lifted up, exalted on a pole or on a cross. That's how the world would be rescued. And so these people that thought he was going to be a political leader, when they found out he wasn't, five days later, their hosannas turn in to crucify him. Hosanna on Palm Sunday, crucify him on Good Friday. Now, even the disciples misunderstood Jesus. Look at verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And okay, it's quoting Zechariah 9, verse 9, that you'll see there in your study outline. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, there's a big difference between the crowd and the disciples. The crowd was into following Jesus for what they could get out of him, okay? But the disciples were following Jesus because they knew he was God. Now, there's a big difference, and it affects us today as to why people bail on God or don't bail on God when he disappoints them, when he turns out to do something different than they expected or different than they hoped for. So many times I'll hear people say, well, Glenn, you know what? I just can't follow God anymore because I asked him for something and he didn't give it to me. And, and, and sometimes it's something frivolous, but, you know, a lot of times it's something heavy, okay? They, they lost a loved one, somebody they loved. And they'll say, you know what? I'm mad at God ever since I asked that God would heal that person and instead they died. And, and I understand that that's a heavy thing, but it is no reason to stop following Jesus, When they stand before Jesus someday, it is going to sound so lame when they stand before him and realize it's all true after all. And Jesus says, why didn't you follow me as Lord? Well, Jesus, you didn't do what I asked you to do. And it's going to sound mighty lame, and it's going to be a bad answer, and and, and it is not a good answer. The disciples were way different. The crowd was following him for what they could get out of Jesus. And the same thing is true today. People that follow Jesus for what they can get out of him, they're going to be disappointed. 
And then the response is going to be, well, then I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. We need to be like the disciples. When Jesus died on the cross, were the disciples crushed? Yes. Were they disappointed? Yes. Were they broken? Yes. Were they depressed? Yes. Were they even slightly doubting and disillusioned? Absolutely. But did they turn their back on Jesus? No. They hung in there. Even even they denied him, like Peter, short term. But they just held on to hope, and in the end, they got a resurrection. And let me just encourage you, and and, and let me not make light of this, because some of you have experienced some really hard stuff. And as I look out here, you know what? I feel humbled because, you know, who am I to say this? But I'm, I'm saying it from God's Word. I'm not saying it from me. Some of you guys have been disappointed with God. And you had a, you had a lousy childhood. You had some stuff done to you. Uh, you. You've had some disappointments. You haven't found the love of your life. And you've begged God for that. Or you had somebody you prayed for, you know, a parent or, or maybe even a child, which is the toughest thing of all to lose a child. And I know, but let me just encourage you, don't be like the crowd that says, you know what, if he does something different than what I hoped for and that I expected, I bail on him. You hang in there. It might be dark. It might be depressing. It might be discouraging. But you hang on to him for dear life because there's a resurrection at the end of your story. And no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, there is a, there is a resurrection coming. Now, the leaders loved popularity more, more than Jesus, okay? They were the Sanhedrin, most likely of the 70 men who ruled Israel. Now, they had a sweet position. These were like the 70 that ruled the affairs, not just of the Jews in Israel, but all around the world. There was money that came with it. There was prestige. There was power. Yet at the same time, many, even among this elite group of the 70, we believe this was the Sanhedrin, even among the leaders, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. They loved their popularity, their prestige, their position, their power more than Jesus, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Okay, So it's like pick and choose. When do you follow Jesus? I'll follow Jesus as long as it's convenient, but as soon as it costs me something, then I'm, then I'm bailing. On kind of a lighter note, um, I know many people are vegetarians now, and, and uh, uh, my, my son-in-law, who I just adore and just love so much, he's a vegetarian, so you know, I just really admired that, and I'm watching his discipline in that area and everything. Well, there's something else now called a flexitarian. And that's where you're a vegetarian, but you make some exceptions. And uh, Christy Pugh, I, I believe she's a comedian, actually, she says, quote, I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like sausage. And so uh, she's a vegetarian except for sausage. So I'll be a vegetarian unless I'm just not feeling it that day. Uh, she said, quote, I really like vegetarian food, but I'm just not 100% committed. And I can totally identify with her because when uh, Aaron first came into our family, my son-in-law, I just loved him and I, I kind of admired him and I wanted to, you know, him to be proud of his father-in-law. And so I made a, I became what was I called an Aaron-tarian, where I would be vegetarian whenever I had a meal with Aaron. 
But the rest of the time, I just ate whatever I wanted to. Okay. So, but whenever we were out with Aaron, I tried to eat vegetarian, and it lasted like about a month or something like that, and, uh, and, and I gave up on it. Now, in the area of flexitarian, that's all great, but when it comes to everyone everywhere following Jesus, then it's not cool. I think we ought to make a new term, flexi-Christians instead of flexitarians. I really like Jesus, but I'm just not 100% committed. I'll take the parts I like, but I'll skip the parts of the Bible that I don't like. I follow Jesus as long as he doesn't want any of my money to help the poor or to proclaim his message um, to different places around the world. I follow Jesus as long as I can be popular. I follow Jesus as long as I get everything I pray for. I'll follow Jesus as long as it is convenient. Okay, But Jesus said in John 12, 26, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. There's something good in that. There's a reward coming in that. But he says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, that's where my servant also will be. And that will include being amongst the poor. That will include sharing your faith. That will include serving you. That will include standing up for him at school. Or standing up for him and not being ashamed of him in your workplace. Wherever he is, that's where his servants will be. Now, Jesus loved us with an all-out love. He didn't, he wasn't a flex of Savior. He loved us all in, okay? He was all out. Verse 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus was willing, he was so all out in his love to us that he was willing to die, but he produced billions of seeds. And we're sitting here right now. On the other side of the world, 2,000 years later, he's still producing seeds from his death. Now, here's a coconut seed. A picture of that up there. And when it dies, it has a little, um, one of its eyes begins to sprout up and it'll produce a tree and that tree will produce an average of 8,000 coconuts in a lifetime. So when it dies, it produces 8,000 coconuts. And the same thing was true with Jesus. When he died, he produced billions of Christ followers on their way following him to eternity in heaven. Uh, when we die to ourselves, we produce fruit. It's when we die, when we serve, when we have an all-out response, that's when we produce fruit. The, his his all-out love for us calls for an all-out response from us. Anybody want to say amen to that? All-out response. Verse 25, he says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, this is just a matter of comparison. He's not saying, go around saying, I hate my life. I hate my job. I hate my, where I live. I hate it. You know, no, he's not talking about that. He's saying by point of comparison, compared to our love for Jesus, we need to hate our life. As a matter of fact, there is a little bit of that in there. You have people that say, oh, man, I just love my vacations, and boy, I, I, I love um, you know, my fun, and I love my recreational times, and man, I, I love this restaurant, or I love it. And, and, and then we're, we're lukewarm in our love for Jesus. And he says, you know what? Anyone who loves their life, 
just, it's fun. You know, the main philosophy today is just have as much fun. I just heard that on the radio. Just have as much fun as you can until you die, okay? Jesus says anybody who loves their life in that way where that's the number one priority is going to lose it in the end. Going to get to the end and say, oh my goodness, what a waste that was. And don't get me wrong, I believe in fun. But I believe in fun to restore my batteries to be radical for Jesus once again. I believe in a Sabbath principle. And I believe in having fun. And I, I love all forms of fun. And I, I like to sleep and I like to watch TV. And I, I like a lot of fun. But, it, but as soon as I sense that it's fun for the sake of fun, and it's not fun just to restore my batteries so that I can go at it again following Jesus, everyone everywhere following Jesus, now I'm loving my life too much. And he says anyone who loves their life is going to lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world is going to keep it for eternal life. And so Mary takes the position of a slave washing feet. She washes Jesus' feet with costly perfume. Now Jesus had smelly, dirty human feet just like you and me. I heard something so interesting this week. Did you know that the average human foot has 250,000 sweat glands in it? Aren't you glad you came to church today? You always learn something new here, I'm telling you. The average human foot has 250,000 sweat glands. Feet are filthy, and her hair would have been filthy after doing this. But So how do we love Jesus with an extravagant love. We, we don't have him here. We can't wash his feet with our hair. Even if he was here, that wouldn't work out well for me. I, I don't know how I just, you know, I just wouldn't have enough to pull it, pull it off, and, and that would be very discouraging. And so how do we do it? Okay, here's some of the things the Bible talks about. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Everything you do with your body, do it out of all-out radical commitment to Him. Malachi 3, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. How do you honor God? You can honor God with your money. What's our money being used for? It can be used to feed our family and clothe and all that kind of stuff. But is it used to care for the poor? Is it used to proclaim the name of Jesus? Is, is it an investment for eternity? Okay, we can honor God with our bodies, with our money. Matthew 10, we can just simply honor God, period. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. There was nothing that was going to hold Mary back from loving Jesus. She gave a sacrificial gift. She didn't care what it cost. She didn't care what people thought about her. She didn't care how it looked. She was sold out to Jesus. Look at what Ken Gear writes there in your study outline. Soon the alabaster body of Jesus would be broken. Blood would spill from the whip, from the thorns, from the nails, and finally from the spear thrust in his side. A perfume more precious than nard, so pure, so lovely, so truly extravagant. The Savior had come to earth to break an alabaster jar for humanity, and Mary had come that night to break one for him. 
It was one she never regretted breaking, nor did he. Nor did he. Right now, let's just have a quiet moment before the Lord. And right now, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I, I just want you to slip up a hand on some of these categories so I can pray for you, not by name, but just kind of by category, okay? How many of you, there's something in your area of your life where you're struggling for that all-out commitment? It's, it's something you're wrestling with, and I've got it in my life. My, my hand's going to be up as well. I want you to know it's going to be up. It's going to be the first hand up here, Okay. So how many of you right now, just slip up your hand and say, you know what, there's an area where it's hard for Jesus to get control of this thing, okay? And I just want to pray for you. That's all I want to do. And and by raising your hand, you're just acknowledging before God, God, I want victory in this area, okay? And I'm thinking in mine, I got it up. I got it, okay? Lord, for each one of us with our hands up, I, I just pray that, first of all, help us to know that we are forgiven in you. And I want to make sure of that, that this is not a word of condemnation. It's a word of conviction. And, and there is forgiveness at the cross because Jesus died for us. But Lord, right now, just show us one small step this week. Could there be one tiny step that I can take and that my friends that have just raised their hands could take um, to be more obedient in this area? Show it to us, Lord. One step that will encourage us to take the next one. And now, is there anybody here, you can put your hands down on that one, but is there anybody here that just says, you know what, I want to open my heart today to follow Jesus. We've seen all these responses, and those that chose power over him, and those that chose popularity over him, and those that chose money and stuff over him. But you know what, it's like, I, I want to follow Jesus here. I want to follow after him. Would you just slip up your hand right now? Just slip it up. Okay, I see that. Thanks so much. Awesome. Okay, I'll, I'll start on my left and your right. Anybody? Okay, I see that right there. Got it. Anybody else on this side right here? Anybody else? Okay, great. Okay, I see that. How about on my right-hand side, your left hand? Anybody want to slip it up and just say, I want to follow Jesus today? Okay, okay, wonderful. Yes, I see that right there. Yes, yes, I see both of them. Thank you so much. Awesome. And how about the balcony? Anybody in the balcony? I don't want to leave you out. Okay, anybody in the balcony want to slip up their hand? And right now, would you just pray silently with me as I pray out loud? Dear God, I need a Savior, and I believe Jesus was who he claimed to be. I want to be one that responded to him like Mary, or even like the disciples. The disciples still stumbled, but they held on to you for dear life. So I don't understand everything, Lord. I still have questions. I still have doubts. But right now, I am still choosing to follow you. And I open my heart for you to forgive me by your death on the cross. And I open my heart. And from this point forward, I want to follow you as my leader, as my Lord, as my shepherd, as my king. Everyone, everywhere following Jesus, I want to follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said.